Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to The Plectroverse. My name is John Tron Davidson from Heavy Repping, and I am here with the wonderful John Gregson. Sir, many thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for asking me. <laughs> oh, not at all. It is an absolute pleasure, and it is rare for me to come across somebody with your instrumental background, uh, which we will come on to presently. Uh, but for the listeners who, have, who are not acquainted with you, um, I will... Very briefly state, I have watched a number of this gentleman's videos, uh, both on guitar and electric and acoustic and 12-string and so on. But the reason why we have got in touch is because you also play the oud. And there's not a lot of oud players floating around, so I, I want to take this great opportunity to speak to you. And a big shout-out to uh, Jetfire Productions, who put us in touch in the first instance. Uh, so... For the listeners at home who are not uh, au fait with your uh, back catalogue of work, can you give us a little bit of history about yourself and how you got to playing and what you're playing now? Certainly, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's been a bit of a, a bit of a varied, bit of a varied life, really. Um, I, I sort of started off. Um, I mean, well, actually, I should probably start with right now. I mean, what. Um, what we're talking about now with the the oud and variety of instruments is I'm I'm a, a West End pit musician in London, uh, and my my current chair is on the Prince of Egypt musical, the, the DreamWorks show, um, and so professionally I'm a multi instrumentalist of whatever instruments people require me to play, but now to go back into the history side of things, uh, I was primarily uh, an electric guitarist of, of um, of many notes and volume, and uh, <laughs> my my sort of background was always just just electric guitar. It was it was never I, I didn't pick up a guitar to just play to be a guitarist or to play a variety of instruments. For me, it was always the sound of an electric guitar that was my thing. It was from hearing Brian May for the first time and just going that is whatever you know if it was if Brian May turned out to be an oboist then I'd be playing the oboe now that's the only way I can describe <laughs> it it wasn't that it, it wasn't that the guitar was a cooler instrument or whatever or that I was particularly good at it it was just whatever that sound was that was the sound that I just needed to do even if I was even even if I couldn't do it I just had to try um and so it, it just became that thing where this I was 13 uh, when when I started playing, and uh, yeah, it became that thing where you're buying the guitar magazines every month, and all these people in there are just your heroes. And you know, this is pre mass internet, really, where you're that's your vector for new information is mm -hmm. these magazines. So whoever they tell you about, that's who you know. And um, so you just actually with the guitar magazines back then, it was really good because it's just a huge range of people. So you find out all about all these great guitarists you know your, your mark Knopfler's, your jeff becks your um mm. you know chris thiele on mandolin or um carver Hyen and a whole bunch of players and so you just it just everything's possible because you're reading about it so i sort of became interested in a large large range of styles just from being exposed to a lot of them in the on the cds or whatever and just anything became fair game but at my heart i was always a, a rock this guy got really into the, you know, the Steve Vai's, Satriani's, Petrucci's, and so on. And that, and you know, you're a teenager, you're getting very into the technical side of things, and therefore, 
it's like you're just trying to figure out like the sort of um, unified field theory of guitar and just trying to get whatever it is that just cracks that open for you. Um, and so that generally the more technical, because the technical stuff's easier to sort of itemize rather yeah. than feel or tone or whatever. It's much easier to say, here's an achievable thing. Can I achieve it? Yeah. Um, and so I, I got really into that sort of stuff, which then led to going and studying academic music because I was into music theory and uh, academics and all that sort of stuff. So I did a lot of that. And I then went into teaching. Uh, did a lot of teaching at the International Guitar Festival and some various schools and so on. And that was great. Um, and then uh, I suppose at some point, I, I, my name came up for some work in London because uh, I'd been based, I'd come down from um, Scotland and I was studied in Newcastle and I was um, teaching in Somerset. And oh, then right. some, yes, yeah, so there's a whole bunch of yeah. things with a whole bunch of accents huh. I've never picked up. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, um, uh, and then, yeah, the call came in for some gigs in London and I was like, well, you know, I'm young enough and reckless enough, I'll, I'll go to London. It was a bit of a, it was some sort of bizarre series of gigs and so I mo moved there with the least appropriate guitars <laughs> possible yeah and and sort of you know tr tried my hand at that and that very quickly led me to the show that sort of I, I got into musical theatre pretty quickly from from then on because I was a good reader yeah uh, and used to a fairly classical sort of background not on mm -hmm. guitar but like musically um and this is a very rushed <laughs> synopsis but uh I, I i was offered a um a, a new musical at the time it was a musical of the old film love story it was yeah. music by howard goodall and it's like a string quintet with grand piano and guitar but of course you think oh it's a 70s film uh it's going to be a sort of electric and acoustic and stuff and no it turned out the week before we met up for the band call. Oh no, it's classical guitar and 12 string acoustic. I was like, right, I don't play those. I don't own them. Right. Um, and so it, that's, yeah, sort of, yeah. <laughs> I got a bit, I, I always, I'm always at great pains to describe to people that I'm a, mainly an electric guitarist conceptually, like by philosophically, I'm an electric guitarist, although professionally I'm mainly known for acoustic stuff and, you know, a variety of things. But my background up until my mid-twenties was all electric. Um, and then from then on, it's just been whatever people need. It's like, I, yeah. as, long as, I, as long as I've got a bit of time to prepare, I'll, I'll do whatever recording sessions or live gigs. or And, and, and it's been mainly theatre until the great event of last year where, you know, uh, where suddenly everything's been relegated to home <laughs> right now. Yeah, of course. But, um, yeah, so, so I think for, for a lot of people, you know, I doubt my name would be familiar to anyone really listening to this because I'm mainly under a pit <laughs> in, you know, many in a pit under a stage somewhere and very rarely a focal point of, of a show. But I, I, I try and get around <laughs> with yeah. the, whatever, <laughs> whatever people will let me get away with and invoice for. Ah, well... That is the essential essential qualities of pit work, and make sure that I can get my get my jobs lined up and and so on and so forth. I've spoken yeah. to a few gentlemen in your trade in the past. Um, I can't remember the gentleman's name. You know that I say that. 
when I, I worked in London for five years down Denmark Street and okay, uh, right. met a lot of guys who were in that scene. There was one guy, Phil something, I can't remember his surname, and he played in, he was doing the pit bass for Kinky Boots. Oh, um, Phil Mulford. Yeah. That's, I can never he, remember his what surname. A, one of the finest bass players around. Outrageous. He's, he's incredible. He's Unbelievable incredible. player. Lovely guy. I, incredible player. I, yeah. I have also, I shall, this is a little micro side note. I've never met anybody in my 25 years of playing who knows as much about cabs. <laughs> yes. I just unbelievable amounts about cabinets, which is an odd thing to be so well versed in, but be that as it may. Uh, now, I am very interested in, uh, I'm obviously interested in your array of instrumentation, mm. but what I'm particularly interested in is the fact that in your, having watched a bunch of your videos, I've seen you play your, um, you've got a Music Man, a Sur, and a couple of other things from what I've yeah. seen, as, along with the classical and 12-string stuff. Um, one of the things that really interested me is, obviously, heavy repping is coming very much from a pick-centric background yeah uh you're because of your diversity of stringed instruments fretted and otherwise did you and obviously coming from uh, what appears to be a fairly metal sphere in your in your upbringing because you've mentioned i loved i have to say those of you who haven't seen this have a little dig um <laughs> through the profile because i saw uh, a video of you talking about polyrhythms and isorhythms Oh yeah, on class yeah. on classical guitar, mm. and saying yes. So this is this is a three over two, but this is fundamental to the music of Michigan, and having it's it's an incredible thing that a band like that. I see they obviously crop up everywhere. They, loads of jazz drummers analyze those parts and and all that sort of thing. But it's it's surreal to see a band like that being mentioned in the you know in the context of somebody holding a nylon instrument talking <laughs> so academically about about rhythms and all that sort of stuff. Um, did you find, or, or rather I should say, your tools when you were coming out of the metal scene or coming from a metal background, when you were, were you jazz three when you were coming up? Or were you playing <laughs> other picks? Yeah. Yeah, no, I was, I was absolutely jazz three. Um, and if I wanted to be more serious, I'd have a jazz three XL. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was... Def, definitely that, and it was, and it was, from a because you know representation. It's like all your heroes are playing very defined picks like that. They're easily available, yeah. uh, easy to see when you drop them on stage. Um, and I wasn't very adventurous with picks back then for a number of reasons. Uh, same with guitars or amps or anything. It was very much more about learning learning the songs or the or my own whatever my own style was or anything and it was just you know jazz three is a utilitarian pick that just works and um i wasn't terribly into strumming i wasn't playing any real acoustic uh mm -hmm. coming up um and uh, so that that always that always worked for me when i got into the theater stuff which was the real as uh, I suppose Vonnegut would say, the grander womb thing where everything just, the big cultural shift in my life uh, yeah. because suddenly I wasn't in control over how I sounded or what I was playing. It was like whoever was paying me that week, that's the job. And it's not necessarily the case of 
you don't necessarily have an arch top with you. Sometimes people just want you to play West Side Story for one song in a showcase and you've only got a Telecaster with you. How do I make yeah. that sound jazzy? Assuming I can't change my amp settings or what have you. And I think the fundamental thing, and this goes into Oud playing with the Risha uh, picks and, and everything else, was I had to get very serious about fingernails. Mm. Because I was, as I was saying, the show Love Story was majority on classical guitar, which yeah. I didn't play seriously. I think I had a couple of pieces in repertoire that I could play. But yeah, like if, if, you're, if you're an early stages classical guitarist or an electric guitarist trying to play nylon string, it just feels like your hands are claw and you're just, pl yeah. you're just grabbing strings. And it's horrible. <laughs> it's really horrible. And... Um, because I wasn't interested in playing classical guitar yeah. just for my own enjoyment, you get to that stumbling block with technique and it doesn't sound nice. And so I was like, I've no incentive to get better at this. I've no incentive to get, you know, to struggle with it. Whereas with electric guitar, okay, I was probably making a god awful sound when I was younger, but it's like, I just want to play guitar. So I'll keep, yeah. you know, twanging away and trying to shred, trying to be Ingve or whatever. And it's just, um, but with the nylon string stuff, it wasn't till I actually had a professional reason to take it very, very seriously indeed, because I had a week <laughs> to get the hang of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I sort of felt like I was a bit, um, you know, what's that King of the Hill line? It's like, I've, he's handed me his business card. I'm pretty much committed at this point. And I was <laughs> just sort of, um, you know. Five, um, five points for mentioning King of the Hill. <laughs> any, any opportunity. Any music by uh, all, all, all the guitar fills by Brent Mason, of course. Uh, yeah. If we if we want to veer into thumb pick territory, but um, yeah. so uh, but yeah, it was the thing where suddenly okay, I have to get my fingernails sort of sorted, and mm -hmm. as soon as I got that done and sort of got some advice from some good friends who are very into that world, I found the instant difference was oh, I could now play this and make and it sounded authentic it sounded it sounded confident and it sounded generally okay and i wasn't playing anything new I, I was still trying to play the same c major scale that i'd been trying to play for years but suddenly the tone was there and there was an authority and there was volume and presence and so on and that's when i started to take picks more seriously when i realized that actually the most fundamental connection between you and your instrument is that moment striking the string, however you choose to do it. I mean, and coming from a lifelong Jeff Beck and Mark Knopfler fan mm -hmm. and Brian May with a sixpence, of course I'm aware that the difference a pick makes, but I'd never really, I'd never really sort of taken it any further than just going, oh, they use different picks to me. I sort of, I'd figured out how to do the Brian May thing, just really scratching into the strings, but not, but I didn't like the feel of a sixpence and I didn't really like playing with my fingers. So mm. I, you know, I sort of knew it worked to get those different sounds. But because I had a professional obligation to sound good on a nylon string without using a pick, I was like, oh, okay, right. This has made a fundamental difference to my sound. And even now, um, if I don't have fingernails, I find nylon string guitar just uh, a painful, yeah. painful world um, to navigate. And it's really hard for me to sound confident on it, even though I am by all definitions confident on it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's at that instant thing where you just play something loudly and with conviction. It's like, Oh, I'm good at this. And the, the only thing that's changed is just how you present that note.
it's the it's such a physical connection with classical as well because it's so you know it's not plectrum based and i know even in this in the conventional rock sense and i know friends of mine who are very keen finger style players who follow the you know the, the kelly joe phelps and people like that um where they go down the acrylic route and right, yeah. Ben Smith that I spoke to uh, last, oh well, it would have been, it will be the last podcast when you hear this podcast. Uh, but he is a he's a thumb pick guy, and yeah. he was telling me he's a folk player primarily, like an open tuning sort of dude. But he was saying that he, uh, as soon as the lockdown lifted, he was uh, lockdown restrictions lifted. He was straight in the nail bar, getting this. <laughs> getting his nails done because it, it, it fundamentally yeah. it's so important to that especially to the classical discipline yeah. and it also it changes the angle of your hand when you're playing which was a, a big thing so i um you know if you have nails you are striking the string at a different point which mm. means that your hand position is slightly different um yeah. and my my big thing over the years is realizing how much physiology has to do with this like I've been playing jazz threes for years just because it's like, well, this is the this is the pick I use. Anything else sounds too thin or it doesn't feel articulate enough. Um, and also I'm a I'm I'm left handed and play right handed as well. So so I've always had a I've always had an argumentative relationship with my right hand. Yeah, it's always been a sort of it's utilitarian. It gets the strings sounded and otherwise I'm, I trust my left hand a lot more. So my picking style for the longest time, even even doing any shred stuff was always hybrid picking or legato or tapping yeah. or, or economy picking, like strict yeah. alternate picking or anything where my right hand never felt on sort of autopilot. It was always a real, like whatever just gets the note out is fine. <laughs> um, and, and it wasn't until I started, so around that time, I then started experimenting with different picks as well. Yeah. Um, because I was doing more acoustic work and suddenly you can't necessarily be, you, you start to become much more aware of the EQ differences between different picks. And at that point, I wasn't having to play anything that was so technically difficult that it needed a really sharp point or mm-hmm. it needed a low profile in the hand or what have you. So I was like, okay, I can just focus on the sound. Yeah. So yeah, I spent a lot with like nylon picks and really thin picks, really, really fat picks and so on. And, uh, and so when you're in a, when you're doing a West End show or anything like that, you, you get very used to having your own little sort of office space where you've got your music stand, you've got your amp, you've got your pedal board, you've got all your instruments around you. And you normally have like a trap tray of, of, of all your pick, or you have an amp head in front of you with all the picks on top of it. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, for this, this song or this cue, I'm going to play, I need a thin pick because it's a really strummy thing. And but this one's a really sort of strident sounding acoustic lead, therefore I need a thick pick. And this one's a yeah. shreddy thing, and I need pinched harmonics, so I need a something with more of a bevel on it, or what have you. Or oh, the big pick scrape number, get my celluloid pick out, so you get all the, yeah. the little rivets on the side because they just wear away if you just look at them. Um, and so I started getting more and more into those. I sort of I left jazz trees behind really because uh, there was no real use for them and then it got to a point i started doing like i I sort of got a reputation in london as not being a rock guitarist um where i would 
it was just I was always being asked to do that mandolin or classical. It became hard to find people who were happy doing acoustic things. Yeah. Because um, it feels like everyone plays electric guitar. And I got quite bitter about that because I always felt like, no, I, I, <laughs> this, is, this is my identity. So I stopped playing jazz threes and then I'd be, you know, depping on someone else's gig like Bat Out of Hell or something. And I'd try and use a jazz three again. And it just like, it just kept on slipping out of my hands. And it's like, what happened? I, I should have more dexterity now than I used to. And I just couldn't use small picks again. Uh, yeah. So I've actually been using the lockdown period to pretty much only use really small, like agile picks now for that, just to train myself back into it, just so I can get a bit more economy going, just out of interest. But um, yeah, I'm still on the hunt for a guitar pick that's like one pick to rule them all that will do. Don't even. You know, just because, so to, you know, for my yeah. Prince of Egypt job, I have to swap very quickly, like several times in the same song, between bazooki, 12 string, nylon string, and the oud. And the pick you want for a 12 string playing, I don't know, some melody or something, going to a bazooki, playing a melody, and then strumming might be very different because of the, like, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd, you'd probably need to put them up to a, like a, a spectrum analyzer or something to really figure it out. But, you know, certain picks will have more mid-range, which is great if you want to make a bazooki sound a bit more authoritative, but dreadful mm-hmm. if you're trying to strum a 12-string and not take someone's ears off when yeah, you're just hitting a big E chord. True. And I've yet to find one pick that does all of them because also you don't really have time to constantly change picks. No. Um, and then also with the oud, of course, you're then juggling a risha, which yeah. for anyone listening who's never experienced a risha or a, what are they called in Turkey? A, a mis, misrab or something like that? Misrab. They, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, they, they're really like very wobbly nail files. And so trying to keep those, you know, juggling them in the air and change instruments and so on and maintain any sort of consistent right-hand technique is really hard um you know let alone just knowing where you know where the pick's going to end up when you're actually striking the string if you're constantly changing pick for things it's it's quite disorientating um so i'm trying to get more used to just using one or two different picks rather than constantly swapping between them as the songs dictate so i i must ask um yeah there is a given that we are we are we're right in the we're right in the weeds here um as far as picks are concerned um when you're obviously you you've had your i know you're going back to the jazz three you're sort of revisiting the old country as it were <laughs> um and i know i know it's very very because i play a little bit of mandolin and dulcimer and right. you can't it, it, trying to take the same picks i would use for electric especially for baritones and stuff like over to that instrument you get so much string noise because it's not really for that, like multiple courses and, and all that sort of thing. Um, what are you using just now, pick-wise? Right, so I'm I'm varying it a lot. Right, so in the in the pit for the Prince of Egypt, which I haven't visited in fourteen months. <laughs> you know, when did we? Whenever we <laughs> shut, uh, whenever the West End shut down, 
but yeah. what I have waiting for me on my trap tray, awaiting our glorious return, hopefully soon, uh, is I was mainly using um, hawk picks, uh, which was the closest I found to one pick that would do the entire show. Just and it was a a, a three five one shape one, I think medium gauge. Um, yeah. And then I was alternating with a couple of blue chips as well, um, just for different sounds. But uh, it, so those are those that sort of style. I'd, I'd have to say in general, if you know, in terms of like what I keep in my wallet for any emergency occasion, my favourite all-round pick is the Dunlop Altex, around about 0.88 millimeter, maybe up to one or one and a half millimeter. Um, for those Altex for me is just this sort of Goldilocks sort of, um, yeah. material and it has just enough of a, if you're going for the tip to play, it's got enough sort of brightness and sort of, uh, note transient with enough extra harmonics to it. Should you need some color or vivacity to it or whatever you want to describe it, but you can get enough of the fundamental notes especially if you go to the shoulder of the pick. Um, mm -hmm. So that if you're playing a six string acoustic or something where you're trying to get the note to be really full, switch to the shoulder and you suddenly have the Pat Metheny thing going on. Yeah. But, um, but that works because then the pick is bright enough in general that it's not so dull. So I'd say the Altex is my favorite for that, but then also, but it can be a bit too bright um, for, let's say, Bazooki. Yeah, because um, it's very forceful, for instance, Altex. Yeah. So it's got and, loads of push and even at thinner gauges. Yeah. And one of the things with choosing a pick, besides physiology, and I'm, I, I, do, I, I do think the, the actual physical sensation, because we're all built differently, all our hands are different shapes, and like you, I wouldn't expect anyone to take pick advice from me and expect it to just translate no. you know, one to one. Uh, because you know, my thumbs are different sizes from someone else's. And so of the actual position I'm hitting um, is, is going to be different. And, and so let alone the, I think I've got quite a forceful right hand, um, probably out of anger, out of being left-handed, but <laughs> um, just a <laughs> channel a that frustration. Method, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, so the, uh, like with a lot of things, a lot of these problems can be solved, I think, by the body's really good at adjusting to new conditions. I think if I spent like a week with one pick, I could get very used to getting a big sound out of a thin sounding pick or vice versa. I could probably get very used to getting a nice thin strummy sound out of a very big pick or very fat sounding pick. Mm. The problem is I don't necessarily have all that time to get used to the picks and especially if I'm doing different gigs on different days or different recordings or using different people's gear. Um, you know, a large part of my job was going in and covering for other people on other shows. Yeah. Which means you're, you're playing someone's, let's say Taylor that's DI'd in rather than one of my guitars that might be mic'd for instance. And so suddenly you get a much more abrasive sound. So I need yeah. to use a different type of pick than I would normally use. But if I'm using a standard guitar pick, I can get used to the EQ 
profile of that pick and I'll adjust my playing accordingly. And yeah, none of these things are fixed in stone, but also, so I, I, was, trying to, I was trying to stick to one or two picks in the show. Now that, I'm, now that the show is sort of suspended, I've been enjoying consistently using a jazz tree for my own practice, but I've do, been doing a fair bit of uh, home recording just for my own edification and a bit of, bit of work and hopefully just, in, you know, entertain some people online, <laughs> really. And <laughs> yeah. um, what I find with that is a bit like my crippling um, overdrive pedal uh, collection of none of these things are absolutes, none of them are definite, but sometimes it's that 1% difference that just helps. Sometimes yeah. if, I've, if I've got a good sound on my Strat into whatever amp and I'm doing a session for something and I need this sound, it's almost there and playing wise it's there, but I just need a bit more sparkle. Uh, it might be the pick that makes the difference. And sometimes that's the easiest change to make. So mm. um, I like to always have a, sort of options though. So I'm, I'm not too, I'm not too um, uh, I, dictatorial really about which ones I use. I think generally I can pretty much get used to most of them. Um, but I, yeah, I'm still trying to find one that I can very comfortably switch between all all these, I don't think it exists. But no, it's. Uh, it, I will. I will say from from this end of the uh, sort of uh, variety of plectrums because I've got the, I've got. I would imagine most of the stuff that you've got and uh, a bunch more things besides. It is <laughs> a constant. Um, it is a constant tussle between saying, I like, especially if you're changing. Uh, especially if you're changing instruments with different gauges and different tunings and you're dealing with different string thickness to go from, say, something that works on a standard tune, six-string electric, to yeah. a baritone where you've got much, much heavier gauges where a thin pick will sound really plinky and weird, but then it might not work on the bass because that's too thick to cope with that. And it's, you know... So it's it's always, especially if you're going between instruments... Um, even between a 12-string and a 6-string acoustic, the difference is significant. You can only yeah. ever get something... It's a bit like saying, I'm going to use this drive, this one drive pedal for all my gigs. Like, there will always be a question of nuance and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. Now, on, on the subject of this very thing, mm. uh, you're... Now, I, and this is, this is the, the really key thing here because it's very easy for... Um, guitarists especially because they are the predominant consumers of plectrums certainly in in the broad uh, colloquial sense uh, for them to forget how many other instruments are out there that use the plectrum like the mandolin or the yeah. bouzouki or octave mandolas or even the sitar and things like that yeah but think something i'm really interested because in, i have to, i have to know this yeah um i have i have played the saz in the past yeah and the picks that you use for that uh were obviously much they're not as long as your risha mm. um but they're really floppy which i wasn't yeah. expecting at all i found that i know there's a lot of tremolo picking involved in those traditional styles but yeah um and obviously your hand position is is different but like 
is is the picks that you use it, you know if you were describing to somebody who'd never seen one of these before for the oud particularly because it's so yeah. different to what people are used to in the west is it are they are they floppy generally speaking or are it, they just long it um it's it's tricky isn't it? i'm just i'm just as god made me but um it's uh <laughs> it's tricky because they um <laughs> before anyone complains that's a spinal tap quote but um, <laughs> the the um <laughs> don't tempt me uh, sir. but but yeah, absolutely yes and um <laughs> same scene it's great so uh but uh, it's it, it's to be honest they're as, as versatile really as the as varied as the picks to be honest i mean if you buy like a job lot of reaches the oud pick uh, online you, they'll probably all come in different um they'll be the same length but they might be very different rigidity and i but basically i've been i've been playing oud a bit or enough over the years for my own edification, but it wasn't really until Prince of Egypt started that it became a really serious thing. And so I just, I just sort of made sure everything was, everything was in order. I got a whole bunch of reaches to try out uh, and just did that thing that you would do, you know, anytime I have any disposable income my way, I'll just buy a bunch of picks or a bunch of pedals or guitars or what have you and just sort of experiment. Yeah. And, I might not need them this week. I might not need them next year, but at some point they might come in handy. And so with the Rishas, I bought a whole bunch and um, I've been pretty much using the show time to sort of get used to them because uh, I don't know for, for the listeners how much they know about a lot of theatre stuff, but a lot of times we just turn up and we're presented with the music to play. You know, a theatre gig doesn't involve much sight reading, but the rehearsal period does if it's a new show. And so all the right, oud okay. stuff was all the oud stuff was sight read, and <gasps> we actually we we actually have a cast album. the The cast recording was recorded the week that we saw the music, and so I had to make sure that I knew exactly what I was doing. And the oud is an eleven an eleven string fretless instrument. Um, oh man! And so that idea of like your right hand being on autopilot. And just playing, like, because if you're sight reading, you can't be looking down at your hands. No, no. And so, I found for the recordings, I needed some reacher that wasn't going to. It was going to be where I put it. Like it's gonna. So, um, but the like with a lot of music, like if you go to like Irish folk music or something, the picks they use there, it sounds like really heavy picks because of the precision of the flat picking. But like if you're, if you see bazooki players in Ireland, like they're using like 0.3 millimeter, 0.4, like it's unbelievably thin. Yeah. And um, that gives you a sound that you can't get otherwise. Um, well, I mean, to be honest, it's very similar, I think, to any time I was trying to ape, like James Hetfield's style picking. It only really works with a green Tortex 0.88, you know, because it's, yeah. that, it, it's a different sound. Like it's, it's a, and it's a, a certain crispness on the string that, works but then you yeah. have to really dig in so it's a it's a yeah, trade-off it's, it's, it's not super bass heavy it's like it's a light yeah it's a it's it's a very light because he's got so much yeah. and to try and do that i mean he uses the he uses the threes now uh the tortex three so it's like a okay. three five one but it's but it's pointed so the black fang is just a it's just a pointed three five one 
but that's yeah. only be, that's only been in recent years. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But once again, I've turned the conversation from Arabic instrumentation to James Hetfield. So, um, but it's the, easy done. It, You'd be surprised it is absolutely what happened. <laughs> so, um, so with the Risha, uh, I actually there's one like with anything you have twenty of them, and there's one that's always your favourite. So my favourite yeah. is a py- a pyramid Risha that I got. There was it wasn't terribly cheap, if I remember correctly, in comparison mm-hmm. to a lot of the other ones. And it's, it seems to be that nice middle ground where it's flexible enough, but there's enough like note in there. Because uh, I don't know, if you, if you watch any good Oud player do a concert like Anur Brahem or um, Joseph uh, Tawadros, and I've probably butchered their names, but um, the, uh, so much of the sound of an Oud is coming not just from the transfer of the pick and the the string but also the the risha slapping the body yeah and there's a there's a really beautiful organic quality to the sort of i'm i don't mean sloppy or i don't mean haphazard in a sloppy way but there's something very natural about the physics involved in playing playing a nude that you know it's not the same as like a musical typewriter where you just input the notes and you get this midi representation of perfect notes like there's a real there's a really organic natural sound to it that's very very appealing uh and likewise it's fretless you get you can play around with microtones on it and when you start to enjoy it as an instrument rather than just oh it's a sound that i that happens to be a pain to tune it's like no no it's (laughs) it's the physics of playing it is different and so i've i tried using a, a thicker risha just for clarity because there are some bits in the show where you have to play these unison lines with the violinists who can play fretted instruments with much more tuning accuracy than i can <laughs> and so you know it's sort of you're doing these lines that cross over the instrument going you know thing and it's like well i need a thicker risha just to make sure that i'm in the right place just for those yeah but then you lose you lose all this all this slap and this vibe and whatever yeah. you get from the looseness. So again, it's finding that Goldilocks period and yeah. that Goldilocks sort of um, sound and feel. Um, and also I'm not even playing it for the entire show. So I'm, I'm trying to sort of divide my time and my technique between all these different utensils <laughs> for, yeah. uh, for striking strings. Um, and yeah, I haven't found the ideal one, but I think the pyramid one is the sort of like if you were to hold the pyramid one in your hand and just you know flick it like a ruler, like on the end of a, end of a table, oh, it would okay. it would be very it would be very loose. But you know, like yeah. a ruler at the end of the table, depending yeah. on where you put the the sort of tension point and start yeah. you know flicking, that will change how much flex you get. Yeah. So wh- I found what I do with that it feels like a dava control pick or something you know where you like just yeah, I'll, I'll sort of i'll hold the risha closer in so there's less of the tip coming out and that way i can i just it just feels a bit more secure a bit less of a moving target <laughs> really um now tradi- traditionally speaking uh when we talk about seeing it and I, I have to say it is wonderful to talk about um to talk about picks rather than from a um a crafting point of view sure right? interview makers to talk to players about it yeah, uh, yeah traditionally speaking 
the most commer- the most normal commercial availability for plectrums is things like so your Altex nylon, uh, Delrin, um, acrylic, I suppose to a certain degree, and casings starting to creep in now, but very very slowly. Yeah. Uh, but the conventional stuff, um, I would assume, having seen, because I've never had a chance to play Arisha. I've played batches, yeah. but I've never played yeah. a, uh, Arisha. Uh, and actually, what you said about it going against the body with you did make me think of the batchy, uh, because right. it, that thing, it, that sound on the shamisen of it always touching the body as they strike is, is such a huge part of it. Um, but I've seen I've seen them online, of course, doing my research into things. Uh, but material-wise, are you taught it primarily? From what I can see, it seems to be things like and the ones I played for the Saz were nylon. Um, yeah. But is it it's things like celluloid and nylon and what 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 are they making them out of primarily? Now this is where my ignorance will really show. I I'm pretty sure I have some celluloid ones. Mm. Uh, I would have to honestly, I would have to defer to Google or at least Jeeves, and about what <laughs> the what the yes and uh, what the what the period. <laughs> what the, I'm an old, old man. Uh, what the uh, pyramid picks are, are made out of. Um, yeah. I, I have a bunch of other ones. I, I got some from Turkey, which is apparently some some particular material that's not on any other ones, but they arrived at the theatre like two days before we shut and I hadn't had a chance to even try them. Um, so I actually don't know. I would I would say whatever pyramid picks are made of is the one that I'm mm. happiest with. I have some that are that feel more like a sort of rubbery plastic. I'd say yeah. that are probably the thickest ones, but I couldn't tell you what that is as a material. Um, but that feels and sounds the most synthetic to me. So I I don't know because um, uh, Arisha originally. Um, from my understanding, was actually made from an eagle's quill. Yeah, uh, which is a bit hard to get hold of now. Yeah, I, I, I don't know enough about the construction of them, and because my professional engagement with them has been comparatively minimal, because my involvement with the show was only from last January, and then we shut on March the fourteenth or something, March the sixteenth. Mm. So you know couple of months of day-to-day playing and of course as we, as we were talking about earlier it's that thing of it's like playing a jazz three every single day for a couple of months it's like you you're only you're gradually building your repertoire and your approach to the instrument through those tools yeah. and so I was coming to some conclusions about which materials I liked but I hadn't reached a sort of uh, irritatingly opinionated <laughs> stance, <laughs> stance on it, um, and until and uh, because my instruments are locked in the theatre as well, I haven't, you know, I, I haven't uh, been playing them in in a, over fourteen months, which is terrifying because it's a whole bunch of tunings to get used to when we <laughs> when we open up again. But um, um, I think with all these things as well, it's it's fun to just like have a look on youtube for some players and just see the difference in technique like like how much we obsess about different guitar techniques and all the different approaches to picking like it's just but uh, actually um my overall point for all of it for the material and the playing technique is it's got to sound like an oud like it's got to sound yeah. really good it goes back to mandolin stuff as well like i don't want to just get a guitar 
I don't want to tune a mandolin like a guitar and just play notes like like you're typing into a typewriter. Like, yeah. oh, this is this is what the music is. I'm just going to play it. It's like, no, and it, it, that goes back to me playing electric guitar and being wanting to be Brian May or something where it's like, no, it's the sound that's doing it for me, not his note choice necessarily. It's like there's something emotive about it. And I still get it when, because Oud is in a lot of things when you actually listen yeah. for it. It's in a lot of film scores and yeah. uh, great, great jazz musicians like Avishay Cohen, who if you're into Meshuggah, I highly recommend listening to Avishay Cohen and his album Continuum a continuo has some really good oud playing on it. Um, the industrial group Igor on their new album Spirituality and Distortion, I think, has some great oud yeah. playing. Um, if you're into like civilization games, Civ Six has a huge amount of oud on the soundtrack, especially in the tutorial level. That's uh, that's fun, um, but it, they're all nice because it's all recognisably, you know, it's oud. It's it's not not like someone just took the the um, the frets off a nylon string and just yeah. detuned them. <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's a totally different, totally different ball game. Um, and so the easiest the easiest way I found to get to that authenticity of sound is with picks, because I can't necessarily you know or re, sorry types of reshare and so on because suddenly getting that sort of that slap on the body, it's quite tricky when it's a really rigid one. So it's a lot, a lot of experimentation uh, trying, did to, you, trying to get there. Sorry, did you find yep. the? Um, did you find? No, obviously we, we must, we must, we must talk about uh, the actual physical technique of it because the majority of people who are listening to this are guitarists. I'm not going to lie. I know who I know who checks the podcast out. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think it's important for people to to recognise that when we talk about the risha. The way in which it's held is completely different to anything else. It's not held the same way as a bachi, which is very unusual, and it's not held the same way as a western pick because you've got such a huge uh, sort of length of, of plectrum to deal with. So, and I know that there's there's more of a kind of there's no point in me gesturing this with my hands <laughs> because we're on the radio, as it were. Yeah. But um, did you? I've always found that really fascinating. The way that the the wrist it's like gypsy jazz players who play with a very straight arm. Yeah. And then they're coming more from the forearm as distinct from coming from the wrist like you would conventionally if you were playing like uh, electric. If you were doing like uh, a lot of power chord work and yeah. having that dan 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 you would never hold the pick the way you would hold a gypsy pick because it just it just wouldn't work at all. Um yeah. but did did you f how how difficult was it to adapt um, your picking technique, especially given your background, to the way that you hold a risha, because it's so different. Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose, actually, um, I, I think I've never really had a terribly militaristic picking technique. You know, it's never mm. been, again, because my frustrations with being left-handed, it's always felt like my right hand is always the, the, weak, the weak link in however mm. I play. And so it would always be on like funk gigs or anything where suddenly you just have to do this sort of like wall of 16th note strumming. My right hand would just be giving out at every opportunity. And yeah. um, and so I ended up with a sort of technique. It's actually quite similar to how Guthrie Govan picks where his funk stuff is a, with a very um, elongated wrist. 
Like it's it's yeah. poking out almost. And so your hand's coming in at more of a severe angle to get the sort of fast motion in. And I can't do it with his control, but that's sort of, it's that sort of uh, hand position. And I've been trying to economize it and bring it into the body of the guitar so I can play more stuff without sort of doing almost comical exaggerations of movement. But um, that's still something I am working on. But it did mean that that sort of hand position for the Risha felt less alien because um, I'm not going to try and demonstrate it again. This is audio, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's, it's so tempting uh, to do it when you can yeah. see the other person. But yeah, absolutely. For, for all those uh, for all, all those people out there in Radioland, it's uh, it's almost like if you uh, if you were to sort of stick your thumb out in in front of you and sort of um, almost like you're holding a hose something like that. Um, and the, the Risha is in that channel in your hand. Mm. And it just depends where you place your thumb, really, on, on where the sort of, uh, sort of tactile point of, of, of it is. Um, I actually, there's, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to do the uh, cheeky thing and mention another uh, video interview I did where I actually go through the instruments on the show but this will, as uh, a, a, a good friend of mine, Tim Rose, who runs a YouTube channel called Guitar in the Real World. And he actually came into the pit to look at the instruments and talk about those sorts of things. So we mentioned that sort of stuff. It's a bit easier with the visual aids, although it was less in depth necessarily about the mechanics of picking, but it does sort of show that side of things. But I think because I didn't have a huge amount of expectations for like shreddability on, on the U, it's like, no, just whatever gets the notes out of the instrument, and sounding like an oud, yeah, we'll figure we'll figure it out as we go along, um, and then like anything with technique, it's just a case of, and hopefully my posture and my approach to playing it are such that I'm not going to give myself tendonitis or sort of damage yeah. my shoulders, because that's such a real risk in in a pit environment, because mm. you're not moving around much, but you're having to do very rapid motions, grabbing instruments, <laughs> and suddenly going from 12 string in F minor to, you know, something else with a different pick or a different grip and uh, doing lots of patch changes, which might be, you know, you can't, you're sitting down, so you might not be in the most ergonomically placed thing to, you might have to really stretch your legs to hit a patch that's way over there on your, on your MIDI board. Or yeah, whatever yeah it is. for sure. So for me, it was a case of if I can get the sound right, it will all fall into place as I get more comfortable with this new music that I am having to um, having to play. But it's yeah, I th it's the hold holding of the risha, and again, that changes depending on what sort of risha you're holding. You know, if, if it's a, a more flexible one, I might want to be holding it nearer the tip just so there's less flex. Yeah. But then if it's, a, if it's a much more rigid one, I can probably let more of it show. So it's all those little daily decisions <laughs> that change every yeah. single time you pick up the instrument. Um, and not to mention even things like dynamics as well, how loud you need it to be. Um, you know, what, what are the rest of the orchestra doing? All those, yeah, all those well, sorts of things. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's a whole other... Because the thing is, you're swimming in completely different waters to... To most people who are in band contexts who are contesting with 
you know, bass, drums, maybe keys, perhaps a second guitarist or something. But you, yeah, to to be in a pit situation where it is more of a toolbox. Oh, I need this hammer to do this job, sort yeah. of thing. Then the, you've got to be conscious a, of that in the mix, you know. Yeah, and 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 with picks as well, it's very interesting. Where, <laughs> sorry, it's very interesting to me. <laughs> where, um, you know, no, you're in the right place for this. Uh, honestly. Uh, yes, yeah, amongst <laughs> friends, uh, it's very easy in a in a pit environment to have your in ears in, and your you've got your perfect mix where the guitar sounds amazing, uh, but that by definition will probably mean that you're probably a lot louder than everyone else in your own head, which makes it much harder to gauge the impact that your tone is having in a sort of holistic way or how the sound team are hearing it. Hmm. And so oftentimes you have to bring back the mix a bit so that you can actually hear how it all sits. And that's the time when you realise that generally, like with setting up an amp, um, that subtractive EQ is a more powerful tool than additive. Like when we play a nice acoustic, we generally want a bigger sound. Like we want, we want more bass response uh, or like, you know, oh, why do tube screamers thin my sound out? I want more, I want more bass in my sound. And then of course you turn up at a gig and no one can hear you. It's like, but I stepped on the louder yeah. pedal. Why is it? <laughs> and, um, why is yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, suddenly you're conflicting with the bass player or the keyboard patches or the double bass or the cello or whoever. And mm. uh, so often you want that thinner, more defined sound, but it's hard to tell until you can actually hear the sort of overall spectrum um, of the of the group. Another reason why I like to keep like 20 different picks on me at any one time because if you are in that situation and you're playing mandolin and acoustic and electric and so on, the quickest way to change a sound is change your pick. If you know the sound team aren't going to want you changing the EQ of your amp mid gig, yeah, of course. And that's assuming it's even your amp. <laughs> like if you on someone else, if you're covering for someone else, and yeah. you're, you're de- if someone's ill, um, and so yeah, it's been a that's that's been the interesting challenge of trying to figure out the the right tools for the job um but yeah so much of that and and i do find instruments like the mandolin to go way back to that to be a, a perfect example of that because that's one of the the sort of the narrowest sort of melody and chordal instruments that can sound really plinky and really mm. sort of horrible and then if you try and not all of us has, have a Chris Thiele's picking technique where he has no. all the shades available to him yeah. with his picking hand. It's, it's amazing. It's genuinely jaw dropping how he plays and how he sounds. But yeah, you spend ages trying to get the right sound playing your rhythm chops and then you have to play a melody and it's all this really brittle and abrasive sounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, I've, I've probably gone way off the, <laughs> the, uh, uh, for the the sort of thesis of the question, but it's um uh yeah the, the sort of the sort of EQ profile of a pick is is my that's what I'm mainly listening for, and yeah, and also we we our ears adjust really quickly, like if you get really used to playing a thin pick for a day or two, and then you go to a really like a um, like a Henser what are they called? Uh, 
are they German? The German company, Henser, um, that do the yeah. Happy Turtle picks. They're sort of yeah. tortoise shell type ones. You play one of those, it's like, oh, that's like, whoa. it's like just, just mid range and no treble at all. Like just pure yeah. that. And you, you play that and you go, oh, that's, that's really, you know, that's my jazz guitar sound or whatever it is. But then you play that for a couple of days and you get really used to it and you pick and you suddenly get all that you can, you know, I was doing that the other day. I was playing a jazz three style, hence, hence a pick. And it's like, oh, great. I can, I was playing along with some Tower of Power going, yeah, this is pretty funky. And then I tried to play an Altex. Well, it's like, oh my God, this is the brightest thing ever. But I, yeah. I'd gotten used to a funk guitar sound with fake tortoiseshell, but you know, that sort of, sort of thing. It's amazing how quickly your ear adjusts to those things. Yeah. Um, and I, in periods of disposable income, I just try and buy batches of picks whenever I can. And it's like, I might not need them now, but there might be a recording session where it's like, can you just make it a bit brighter? Can you, or make it a bit warmer? And, yeah. you know, you have, um, I find that, uh, that sort of justifies the hobby a bit, <laughs> a bit more. <laughs> it is a, it's a, it's a tough old, tough old situation. I was going to say a tough old gig, but you know what I mean? Um, I miss, I miss gigs. A, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. Remember doing gigs. Remember humping all of your gear up and down the back of a <laughs> the back staircase of some terrible, terrible venue where you can smell the toilets from the stage and um, Oh all all the punters saying, <laughs> Bet you wish you'd played the flute, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never heard that one. Yeah, <laughs> oh, do, do you do you want a hand? You're only asking me if you want if I if you can help me because you see I can I have finished loading all the heavy stuff. Thanks very much. <laughs> hey, we've listen, I've sung I've sung in a lot of bands, I've done that. But yes. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Yeah. Oh, you, don't it, worry. Where... I'll uh, I'll be there. I'll be there in five minutes. You know, you guys just. Uh, yeah. You're you're logging you're logging a whole PA system, and someone goes, "Must be so easy for you. You just have a microphone." It's like, <laughs> oh, I did a gig once um, when I was when I was down in uh, down in London. I did a gig up at the North Railway Inn, I think it's called, and I take oh, yes, my. Yeah. I just bought an old. Uh, at a, at a, I missed this amp, I've got to say, but I had an old Wem Dominator Mark III <laughs> yeah. and uh, with a single 15 solid cab. And I, I took that. All the boys at the shop said, make sure that you get a taxi. Yeah. I said, no, 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 no. I'm going to take it on public transport. And I took I my my amp and my amp guitar on my back and a huge, because I was doing solo, like, electric gigs with loops and stuff and uh, <laughs> I took all of my gear and the amp on the bus and the tube um, before I had my trolley it was stupid yeah and I got to I remember getting to the gig and playing the gig and then the next day my arms would just wouldn't stop shaking the yeah, whole yeah. day they wouldn't stop shaking because I was carrying this thing don't do that you're, you're, you're more lactic acid than man yeah it's actually uh, <laughs> While I was on the way to that, I'm ashamed to say this, but I will admit it on the podcast. A guy cycled, it's one of those fortuitous moments of despair that a gentleman cycled past me. And I, this is as, as true as I'm sitting here. A gentleman cycled past me uh, and on his back, he had a violin and I shouted at him. <laughs> and, <laughs> not anything terribly abrasive, but I really, it was my own fault. Anyway, that aside... <laughs> 
Uh, I hope that, that, goes, you... that goes back to one of my that goes back to one of my earlier <laughs> one of my favourite talking points is the best the best recommendation I can ever make for the best ever tube amp is an amp that you can carry on the tube. <laughs> uh, absolutely, <laughs> if twelve ten in, ten in, any more than ten inches, you've gone too far. Just <laughs> yes, stick to twelve watts. You can always make it when you get there. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> um, I remember take, taking stage pianos on the tube and all sorts of stuff and the. You know, you don't want to. Yeah. You just don't want to do it. Ah, oh, the follies um, of youth. Ah, well, it's London. London was the heart because when you live outside of London and you've got like cars and stuff. Sure. And then when you're in London, and you think, "Nah, I'll just take it on the tube, sorry." And uh, <laughs> it, it's just the yeah, madness. Um, now, I hope those of you who have listened this deep into the podcast will understand that the key thing to take away from all of this, between both myself and my wonderful friend is that there is no as much as we talked about the goldilocks plectrum and i think there are ones that you love uh, and there are ones that you prefer using for for your own uh indulgences but if you are trying to cover ground and you need to do you need the nuances of a particular style you need to you need to change your kit around. It's like taking it's like saying to somebody, So I've got a three three five and I can play technical death metal on it. No, you can. <laughs> in in practice, you can yeah. do it. It will be hard and sound wrong, but you can do it. Yeah. But if you want to get that sound, you need that thing that does that that thing. Like playing gypsy jazz on an acoustic rather than a Macaferry. Like it's it's almost there, but it's not exactly the same. And changing your picks lets you do that. What I really like about it is it's it's the it's the biggest change you can do with the least amount of effort for a start. Like you don't even have to unplug a pedal on a board. I remember yeah. I remember I think it was uh, Jason Sidwell at uh, at Guitar Techniques magazine who once had an editorial about how so you're only a, you're only a pedal away from a different genre, which I always really liked as a as a sentiment. But um, yeah, with with the picks, it's, like, it's so easy to change picks for different sounds. But also the um, and sometimes it might not even be in your gift. It might be that someone else is telling you, can you get a different sound? for whatever it is you do. But also, I do somewhat miss the almost romantic notion of a man and his pick. Like, the pick that... Like, the, the bluegrass people who have the same... Like, um, like Molly Tuttle, who's had the same, like, Dunlop 208 or 207 that she's had all her life, and she's hand-beveled it just through playing. Like, that just... Yeah. The idea that it is... You know, I've still got old picks of mine from when I was starting out, and, you know, they just that's fun that's that's a nice thing and i imagine i wonder how much not better but how more assured i might be as a picker if there was just one type that i just got really used to and just only played everything with those picks that might might be good but i think the overall benefit i get from having the versatility of just some this one needs a nylon pick um like sometimes people ask you to track acoustic guitar with almost no attack on it at all like just like a wall of just cord. It's like, well, I need my nylon pick, I, I, you know, a thin nylon pick or something, so that there's absolutely no abrasion coming from, yeah. or no no click or whatever. And yeah, those those things are 
for, or if you want a really plummy jazz sound and you suddenly get one of those, you know, a really huge pick, or even those mandolin picks that are just like circles. And yeah. Those, those sorts of things. It's like you, you pick it and you instantly, everything about you changes because your entire point mm -hmm. of contact with the instrument is different just from how you hold it because it's a different profile. Um, you know, your, your thumb and your index finger will come together in a different way if it's a thin pick or if it's a, a in my favorite picks in general are the big wedge triangles, mm. you know? Um, and it was even more so when I saw that Devin Townsend used them. So it's like, well, of course, I mean, what else? Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course I'm going to use them. You know, I'm, I too am a strapping young lad. And the, but <laughs> it, you know, that in terms of sheer just comfort of having uh, that sort of shape in, in, in your hand, that makes me feel more confident as a player. It might not be the most articulate, or allow me to do certain things, or it might be too big a sound, but I, I know which ones I feel more comfortable with in general, but yeah. that might not be most appropriate for the music I'm having to play. Um, but it means that I have a collection of picks that I might never use a, for an entire year until the one time when I do need it. <laughs> like those, those big wedge triangle picks are amazing if you're on stage because they almost, they're almost impossible to fall out of your hand. Yeah. Whereas a jazz three, I just, you know, I, if I get instantaneous in, loss. Yeah. If I get even remotely <laughs> into playing a power chord, the jazz three will just go flying out of my hand, and uh, um, which is never a good look for anyone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> apart from Ingve, but yeah, I can't kick them afterwards. So. Oh, playing keepy uppy with the yeah, Jesus. Mm. Now I'm going to ask you the ultimate question sure. for um, for any player. Uh, yeah. especially one that you're in a unique position in a sense um, from people that I've spoken to in the past in terms of you are having to cover not only multiple instruments but multiple styles uh, and having to do things on demand and so on and so forth. Um, what's your one piece of advice that you would give to people who are looking for their ideal pick or their picking technique? What's the one of, of all your years of playing? What's your piece of wisdom that you would impart to other players coming up? Well, the thing that sort of jumped to mind for that would be no one else can tell you what to like. How, how a pick feels is so uniquely personal. And just because all the favorite artists in a genre use a type of pick doesn't mean that you need that thing. If it's uncomfortable for you, you don't need to use it. You don't need to use a certain material. Like, or it's, um, it's different with acoustic guitars somewhat, but with electric guitars, the electric guitar is a, is a whole instrument along with, um, you know, with the whole signal chain, the pedals, the amp, the mic, whatever the sound sound person is doing with it and the picks are part of that but it's all a dynamic system so if you need a really big sound but you feel really comfortable with a thin pick like steve Vai or van halen or whoever who uses a really thin pick and you feel really comfortable with those but conventional wisdom tells you you need a really thick pick for that you can change that sound later on in the signal chain 
You can set your amp up differently. You can do other things. Don't put yourself in a position where you're going to hurt yourself for whatever reason. It might be that really thick picks hurt your hand or vice versa or thin picks really do. You can always, you might have to make the adjustments somewhere else and it might be counterintuitive. You might have to change various things, but um, try and listen to your body and practice with these things I mean, this is this is all very sort of this is like octopus advice there's so many different sort of strands coming off from this but the idea is you can get used to most things and so nothing substitutes from being comfortable with something and putting in hours and hours and hours of playing and it's not necessary that it feel like it's not like oh i find my one path and then i practice and that's me set it's like no no you have good days you have bad days Days when your mm -hmm. sound sounds incredibly big, some days when it sounds really plinky and thin, and it feels like you, you can't even strike the right string, that's fine. Just keep, nothing substitutes for practice. And your pick is a part of that. And you just have to get used to, you, you have to get used to those things. You can adjust to most things. So I think that like with any pursuit in the instrument or in life, it's worth taking time and worth investing as much of your mental and physical energy as you can to get stuff that works for you and that you enjoy, that makes playing the instrument pleasurable, gets you a nice sound. Um, the biggest challenge I found, going back to the classical guitar thing earlier with the fingernails, as soon as I can make one note sound good on the guitar, it felt like I could practice it. If you pick up an acoustic guitar and it sounds really thin, unlike your electric, figure out a way of getting one good sound out of it. And that will almost certainly involve changing your pick or getting nails or something, something like that. It doesn't necessarily mean get a new guitar. If you can get a good sound out of the instrument, you are well placed for any musical or technical challenges that come up. But more importantly, from a personal standpoint, you are happy within yourself. And that comes from physiological, mental well-being, how you want other people to hear you, how you want to be heard yourself, and so on. And I, th I think that that's like the biggest sort of journey I've been on over the last few years is that idea of, I like this and that's okay. <laughs> that unbelievably valuable advice. That was all one clause. <laughs> it's all one, a single clause. Make sure you read yeah. it at the bottom. <laughs> no, it's an absolutely spectacular advice from from john there and i have to say i completely concur there's no actual especially with electric there's no actual rules to this if somebody if somebody wants to especially when you're when you're playing other people's music that's a different thing because that's a different approach but when you're making your own music if you want to use the wrong thing to do the thing you want to do if what conventional wisdom says, you can't use that guitar for this, or you can't use that guitar for that, just do the thing. Because if you're not being free when you're making music, what's the point? Yeah, absolutely. You know? Well, sir, I, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, and I would like to have a quick chat with you after, after we go off the air. Um, absolutely, yeah. So I shall, uh, we shall do that in a moment. But for the time being, a massive, massive thanks for coming on the show. Oh, uh, thank you so much. Oh, this honestly, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Um, 
I will put links to all your activities and your socials and, and so on in the description and that video you mentioned about your uh, your friend uh, with his channel. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's important that people see that in this context. Yeah. Uh, so huge, huge thanks to you, John. Many thanks for coming on the show. Um, is there anybody you'd like to give a big thumbs up and shout out to before I sign off? Um, the floor is I yours. Think, <laughs> um, not really anyone, not really any, any specifics. Um, I, I'd really like, I'd, I'd, I'd like to sort of do my Oscar speech thing and just thank everyone in the entire guitar community just for the last year, because we're all nerds and we all love chatting and sending each other eBay recommendations or talking about picks and strings and pedals and which rat pedal has the most authentic sound to it and, and everything. <laughs> and I honestly, the last, we do that all the time on gigs. Uh, but since we've had no gigs in the last year, having that community and just, just being able to nerd out about the stuff without it necessarily being an adjunct to work has been really nice. And uh, so I imagine people who listen to this podcast are the same people, <laughs> really. Uh, and that's that's really cool. So the, the sense of community and just just nerdery this is fun and it's 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 like the intersection between my hobby and my job and it's a perfect intersection and uh <laughs> yeah so that's to all, all the people that and all the all the great you know um pick manufacturers who've been on your show for instance all that just all that passion and individuality and stuff it's just great it just makes me really happy um and so it's just been nice to have a a forum to be you know a part of this so if you're listening to this and you're contributing to that general thing in the in the air that's kept me sane for last year thank you well excellent 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 stuff and uh huge huge thanks to jetfire for putting us in touch again even though i don't even know if that was the intention but that's what we've ended up with and i'm thrilled about it <laughs> yeah legend thank you <laughs> a legend indeed so I shall bid you all farewell. We have uh, another episode of the podcast coming up in uh, in due course. All that remains, sorry, is for me to say many thanks to my wonderful friend, John. Uh, thank you for being on the show. And from myself, John Sean Davidson, I shall see you all soon. So just remember, if you're not sure what to do in life, rep hard, rep heavy, and I'll see you soon.